coming up on today's episode of Build. We knew that they were in a tough time and we were, we were empathetic to their, their challenges. And there's, there's that, that's gonna happen in this, in this economy. There's gonna be people whose businesses are in trouble. While we want everyone to be successful, this is just the nature of, of business. And I think you have to be empathetic to that and listen and, and make the smart business decision, not only just for your company, but for, for your customer. And if you become a, a customer advocate as well and operate above board and, and do the right thing by the customer, generally speaking, that works pretty well. Everyone today is looking for advice on how to navigate a difficult economic environment. Funding has slowed, hiring is frozen, budgets have been cut, so what do you do? This is especially true for sales folks. We've been in a decade-long bull market for software, and 2020 and 2021 in particular was an absolute sales bonanza. The biggest challenge was being able to effectively meet all the demand that was falling from the sky. So when buyers slam on the brakes and the bull market is over, how do you adapt? How should sales reps approach their prospects and customers to continue hitting their number? And how should VPs of sales or CROs be leading their teams differently today? Our guest on today's episode of Build is Chris Degnan, and he hits these questions head on. Chris is the CRO at Snowflake, and he's been leading sales at the company for over nine years. Chris and I dive into these specific questions on how to sell in a down market, but what I realized during our conversation is that these are the best practices for top performing sales reps in all environments, not just a bear market. So if you're a sales rep or a sales leader looking to improve your game regardless of the economic environment, this is the episode for you. So let's dive right in with Chris Degnan. What is the mindset and action plan of a great sales rep in a recessionary environment? What should folks be focused on today? I think COVID actually made us all think a lot differently on, on how we had to sell. You know, they're, historically speaking, especially in field sales, you could take people out golfing and you could you know, take them drinking or whatever. And then all of a sudden that went away um, during COVID and it forced us to sell quite differently. And really that became a, a huge thing for us in enablement, in having our sellers really become students of what they sell. And, and I think it's so important now to not just be a glad handing sales rep, you know, high fiving and no, you actually have to provide value to your customers. And, and I think p time is, is so precious and, and now we're competing. A lot of people are still working out of their houses and they're, we're competing, you know, with time with their families. So on the other end of the, the spectrum, our, our customers, they have to, they have a job to do. They don't, they're not here to just do us favors. And I think it's really important for a sales rep to understand that their time is precious. So, so things like making sure that you show up to a call with an agenda, making sure that you, you have, uh, you understand the pain, you've done research on the customer's pain, and I help them identify those pains. Because again, it goes back to the, the budgets are not very large right now, and people are, are needing to make sure that they're spending money wisely. And so I think that that's a really huge thing for, for our sellers is making sure that they add value to the customer, they're not wasting their time, they're, they really understand what they're selling and who they're selling it to. So th those are the things that I, I, I strongly encourage you know, this, our sales team to do. What do you mean by being a student of what you sell? What does that look like in practice and in real life? I'm not the type of salesperson that can go sell 
anything to anybody. I'm, I'm not, I'm not that good. And I, and I have to have passion and conviction around what I'm selling. And there's, it's not always, you know, this easy thing to say it fits here. And you're really, you have to um, be curious on the customer side. You have to be curious on the pains that they have and ask them as many questions as, as you can without wasting their time on, on the side of what you're selling in, in the example of snowflake, you know, it's really important for me to make sure that I understand where we fit and where we don't. And, and when there's stuff where I, I don't want to go waste a customer's time, but you know, I, I'll give you an example. I was just out in New York city a couple of weeks ago meeting with a customer who's been a customer of ours for six years and snowflakes changed quite a bit over the past six years. And as he was explaining to me how he did, he kind of uses a BI tool with Snowflake. It's because we didn't have a lot of the connectors and all this other stuff that you, he needed six years ago. So he's just kind of left it that way. And I'm like, dude, it's way easier now. It'll cost you less money. And here's how you do it now. And, and I know that because I've been kind of knee deep in Snowflake for nine years. And, and so it's, it's really, really important for, for my sales team, for me, for, for all sellers to really making sure that you're adding value, that you understand the technology or the product that you represent. Otherwise, you're just kind of some glorified, you know, meeting organizer, which is, that's not what you want to be. Yeah. And, and I think what, what comes through to me in that, I mean, that's a great example because, um, you know, customers been with you for six years. It's really easy to assume that they're up to speed on everything that you're selling and everything that you have to offer and all the best ways to use your platform. But assuming in that case um, is both a disservice to the customer as well as to yourself, the seller. And so instead of assuming, uh, being curious and saying, you know, again, going back into, even for a customer that's been here for six years, what are you doing today? What are the specific challenges today? Um, what are things that, you know, and being aware that like, hey, maybe we didn't have a capability a few years ago when you signed up, we now have a capability. Are you using it? Are you using it to its full extent? Are you getting the full business value? Uh, and there's always sort of a next um, sort of phase of what you can learn from a customer and the value that you can provide. So that's kind of what's coming through to me in that not assuming and instead clarifying, being curious, asking the follow-up question and really finding what's that kernel of pain or what's that kernel of opportunity. And, and in this in this environment, also showing them how they can save money. I mean, I think even if it's on your own platform and there's a better way that they can do it cheaper, faster, do you know what? You establish credibility by doing that. If, if you go in and say, hey, you know, I my product can run faster when you do it this way and you don't have to pay us any more money. Well, geez, they, they appreciate that because they, and they'll give you opportunity to earn more business um, in the future, for sure, because you build this trusting relationship. Yeah. And the other thing that I think is is coming through and kind of how you're talking about it. And I think this is always a good thing, but especially, you know, kind of in a difficult macro environment, it's, you know, you do need to be curious and curious about the customer's pain. But, you know, are you sort of settling for and stopping at more of a generic pain or are you getting really, really specific? Um, and I think going towards specific pain is where you find the specific opportunity for that specific account to get that specific budget that they may or may not sort of, you know, want to send your way. Uh, it does remind me of, you know, kind of listening to a couple of interviews that you've done about the early days of Snowflake. So obviously very different environment, very different time of the company. But, you know, the specific pain that you were focused on is, you know, obviously there was existing vendors in the market. You know, a lot of people were using Redshift. 
And so instead of just saying like, hey, you know, we're, we're better than Redshift, it was here's the three specific things that you're probably having pain with with Redshift. Is that true or is that not true? And really going down to those kind of like tactical level, like getting into the weeds, getting into the details and then selling against that pain. Here's how we solve that specific pain. That's always valuable, but especially now because of the re recessionary dynamics. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it, the, the kind of the, the silly example is it's like going to, to you know, have a beer with your buddy at a, at a bar and you go, you kind of pony up to the bar and you, you have your first beer and you say, how's, how's life? And they're saying, great. And then you actually have a second beer and you kind of say, well, really, how's life? And then all of a sudden they kind of unload on you. When I walked into the market that, you know, with Snowflake, that Redshift had already been in, in the market for a year. We had no website, no customers that to talk to speak of. And so I would walk in and I would show a customer a demo and they'd say, wow, that's, that's really cool. But really cool doesn't get you the next meeting. Really cool doesn't get them to try the technology. As I found out, because you'd walk, we'd walk out of a sales call and we'd be high five and saying, yeah, they thought that was really cool and we got something. Well, geez, you know what? Then they would ignore my emails. Um, or my phone calls. And so, so then what I then had to hone in on is, okay, you have this semi-structured data that you put in one platform, you transform it and load it into your Redshift. Well, we can do that all in, inside of Snowflake a lot faster and cheaper. Let me show you how. Don't trust anything I say. You know, let's do a small pilot on my dime and, and I'll save you time and money if you do this. And sure enough, that's you know, in fact, I was just talking to one of our first sales reps uh, last night, and that's really what, what we were talking about is finding that single pain was around JSON. Like, and who knew? That's what kept Snowflake alive for our first probably 100 customers for our probably first two years. And that, that's a meaningful thing. You need to find that real pain. Otherwise, it's like, yeah, that sounds neat, but I have a lot of things to do in my day job. I don't, I'm not going to go do that. And I think that's like, Today, I, I'm on the receiving end of a lot of sales calls, prospecting calls, and, and people are like, hey, do you have 15 minutes for what? Like, what, what value are you going to provide me? And on that, that example of sort of when you're on the call, um, the way I was kind of hearing it is, you know, you can approach a call, any kind of sales call, you know, is it a performance or is it a conversation? Right. A performance is like, OK, I got this song and dance. Uh, it's really well rehearsed. I got this awesome product. And then you kind of go and do your like 30 minute song and dance. And you're like, don't you think that's cool? And at the end of the call, they're like, yeah, they give you a round of applause for your performance. And then you come away feeling like, OK, they loved it, you know, like and really what you're feeling is, you know, you're feeling that that went well for me. You know, I did the performance well and they gave me praise afterwards, but you're sort of completely not actually thinking about what's going on in their environment. So instead of doing the performance, you're having a conversation. And, and it's truly like, you know, you're not just giving your talking points, but you're understanding the customer's context, you're understanding their specific pain, and then you're giving them a specific, you know, sort of delivery of like, here's what we do against that, as opposed to here's my generic, uh, you know, performance. And that's really going to resonate with them versus just like, Hey, that was a cool demo. Thanks for uh, not wasting my time in that way. It drives me nuts every time I go on a sales call and and you have someone like you have a sales engineer, you have a sales rep, and all they care about is their presentation. And, and I'm like, dude, guess what? The customer, you you get them talking the most, and and you make this a conversation. And you, if you're good, at, and it goes back to if you're a student of what you sell. 
and you know the product and you know the solutions that we can and the, the issues that we can solve, if they give you enough information, you should be able to cater your pitch to solving their problems. And it, otherwise, if you just get up there and vomit on them, it's like you're just kind of spraying and praying. And I think that that's not, especially now, like don't waste people's time. And people are nice. So, so you know, when, the, when they're on their phones, you're, they're on their Zoom, they're probably playing a game. You know, while while you're doing your pitch, yeah, <laughs> they're trying to get Wordle for today. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, reflecting back on my early day, early days in in sales, um, you know, I I sort of would rehearse the pitch. I would get it all down, and then you know, the prospect, or you know, in my case, the founder would sort of like interrupt me and ask a question. It's like, wait a second, I was just getting going there. You know, you're interrupting my flow. And it's like, okay, that's completely the wrong way to approach it. If you feel like somebody's interrupting like your perfectly scripted performance, like you're doing sales the wrong way. It's supposed to be conversational. So yeah, totally makes sense to me. Um, let's talk deeper about business value. Like what do you have to show? Obviously everybody knows like, yeah, you got to make the business case. Yeah, you got to prove ROI, but like what does that look like in practice and what does that look like today in sort of a more difficult economic environment? Well, I, I, you know, one of the things that I've noticed in just the evolution here at Snowflake is we, we start off as a cloud data warehouse. Now we're, we're the data cloud. And where what I find that's awesome about being the data cloud, being just the cloud data warehouse, is I was always just focused on selling on an ROI. Like we run our queries faster. Uh, and cheaper than the next vendor, and there, that's a race to zero. In that you're you're selling a commodity. I, I sold for eight years at EMC for data storage, and it's like it was the same thing. And that's why I left. Now, um, what I spend a lot of my time doing is I talk to VPs of sales, I talk to CFOs, I talk to CEOs of Fortune, you know, one hundred companies. Because what I'm, what we're doing a better job of now is tying data to revenue and new revenue streams. So in analyzing business and in all sorts of stuff like that. So I think if you can, like, yes, the the cost savings is important in this day and age. And sure, like you need to show that because you're going to have you know people in procurement that are going to hold you accountable to that. But on the flip side, if you can then Find a way that you can tie yourself to revenue, especially in this economy, then geez, it's a, it's a, it's a way easy and better sale. If you can find revenue and associate your, your service product, whatever it is to, uh, to that revenue, you're, you're differentiating yourself. Again, it goes back to what we started off. Be student to what you sell and then understand how to pivot in the conversation. To then say, well, geez, have you thought about, so Snowflake has a data marketplace and customers are, are, have data. Do, have you ever thought about selling this data set? Well, no, I have not. Well, you know, we have all these people like hedge funds who buy data sets. And so that's a, a lot of times what I spend time talking to customers about. And it's, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, that, that emphasis on, on revenue uh, as being the most powerful um, business value driver um, is, is super key. And, and I'm kind of preaching this to anybody who will listen, any founder I work with, any founder that I connect with, is that there's, there's a hierarchy of business value. Oftentimes it can be different for how does the customer think about that hierarchy of business value versus how does the rep or the company or the vendor think about that hierarchy. And so in the customer's mind, it looks like 
Number one is revenue. Um, are you increasing revenue? Are you driving revenue for me? Are you increasing my sales? That's number one. Number two is, you know, are you actually driving cost savings, hard dollar ROI? Number three is time savings. And number four is personal preference. Do my folks love this product more than the alternative out there? That's how they think about it. Revenue number one, cost, then time, then sort of personal preference. It's actually a lot of times the exact inverse for sellers. They're like, personal preference, people love my product more than the other vendor. Uh, it drives time savings, isn't that awesome? And time is money, so there's cost savings as well. And then they'll do some hand-wavy thing about like, if you tie all this together, theoretically, there could be revenue, right? And so they're, they're not really thinking about the hierarchy of business value and proving it to that specific customer pain the way that the customer is. You, you're, you're kind of mismatched in that regard. And, and sort of realizing that and aligning with how the customer thinks, to me, is the key unlock. Again, in any business environment, like when you're trying to sell a much larger deal and fight for budget against all the other places it could go, but especially in a downturn, especially in a, a tough market. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, we have a, we have a competitor at Snowflake who, who's obsessed with us. And what they do is they, they say Snowflake's really expensive. Whether it's true or not, they just kind of make it up. And, and, and so a CFO is like, well, geez, uh, Snowflake's becoming kind of my, one of my most expensive things on the list. And then they say, well, we're open source, Snowflake's not open source. So they kind of play that, those cards against us. And, and it's like, well, yeah, but that, that goes down to personal preference. Like you're basically, I'm fighting a religious war, open source versus a not open source. Then and it's like, okay, you're going to go build something. And oh, by the way, if you're the CFO, you have some customized stuff. Uh, well, guess what happens when that person or that group of people leave? Because they will leave. And sure enough, you'll be, you'll have some challenges ahead. So I think, you know, it goes down to, uh, of course, if you can tie yourself to revenue, this, this is why, you know, to be honest with you, this is why I like doing this job now versus nine years ago. Snowflake's been super successful. It's been an awesome ride for me. I need something to get me up every day and get excited. Otherwise, I just wouldn't do it. And I think talking to people about driving business value, driving revenue for them is something that gets me excited. And and again, I don't want to go, I, I, I can play the cost game. I can't play the personal preference game because that that's what my competitor wants to do and bring me down there. But really what what I what I see is really around uh, you know tying myself to revenue is so differentiated and and that's when the the relationship changes with the customer. Just a quick break in today's conversation to make sure that you're getting all the latest in PLG content from OpenView. First things first, if you haven't subscribed to Build in your favorite podcast app, Make sure you do that now. We drop four episodes per month and subscribing is the best way to stay in the loop. And while you're at it, drop us a rating and review for the show so that others can find it as well. And secondly, did you know that I'm a YouTuber? I put out weekly videos on the latest and greatest in PLG with my show called the PLG 123. Every video is two minutes or less and features VC perspectives from yours truly on the latest in VC, SaaS, and of course, product-led growth. So find me on YouTube by searching Blake Bartlett and make sure to subscribe to my channel so that you don't miss a single video. Okay, now let's dive back into today's conversation. All right, shifting gears. Um, that was a lot about sort of in the moment, if you're a rep, you're working an account, how should you approach it? Let's shift to sales leadership. So how should sales leaders be thinking today? What should their, their mindset and action plan be you know, during a recession, how should they be leading their teams? 
you know, one of the things that I'd say, not just in the recession, but one of the things that's been kind of a negative of all the hyped up valuations that we've seen over the past couple of years is that you have startups that are that are getting, you know, large rounds of funding. So they're getting, you know, a series A round of funding and they're getting a hundred million dollars at a whatever five hundred, seven hundred million dollar valuation. Well that sounds on paper, that sounds awesome. You know, what it doesn't teach you is is how to actually, you know, do more more with less. So so my 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 current CEO has this saying it which which is kind of funny. He says you know, eat, eat like an ant, poop like an elephant. And, and I, and I kind of, I think that's important for everyone to, to, whether you're a series A company, whether you're a publicly traded company is, you know, you just don't blindly hire. You don't blindly just say, I, you know, I'm going to go put people in a geography just because that's makes sense. Right. You, you really do have to evaluate. Do I have a product market fit? It, 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 do I have the right, you know, customer base for this sales team to be successful? So, so one of the things that they, they talked about yesterday in this investor conference was constantly measuring productivity. So, so I have a at, at Snowflake, I have a, a monthly analytics call every single month uh, from both finance and my strategy, my sales strategy and operations team, where we talk about different things. So we talk about everything from you know how's a how's a territory performing to how's what's our top earners making to you know how how many reps are hitting quota how's the productivity by division you know et cetera et cetera they're different topics each each month but they're 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 repeated every quarter you know when snowflake was was born we had seven million dollars in in seed funding or series a funding and we we had you know 20 employees right and and so it was like you know we needed to be really a little bit desperate um to to be successful and i would say the same should apply as you get bigger is that you know as valuations got bigger we were a little bit more kind of freewheeling with the money and it's like no man that's not how you should operate i think you should always operate under the premise that you should always think you know what tomorrow is not you know, a given and who knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Let's make sure that, you know, we live to fight another day. And so you you evaluate from a sales leader perspective, you evaluate the performance of the team. And sometimes you have a sales rep that says, well, they're going to use the macroeconomic environment in telling you that they can't be successful. And unfortunately, that's not true. So for and for them, there's going to be a lot of things that are going to affect your ability to be successful. But really, if you get up every day, what do you got to go do? Well, if you're a sales manager, making sure that you have reps that are getting up, they're prospecting, they're doing the things that they have to do. So when I was at Snowflake day one, I had no boss. And I'm, I'm sitting there saying, well, geez, what am I going to go do? Well, I'm going to go on eight sales calls a week. I'm going to go make sure that I have three to four net new business meetings. I'm going to make sure that I send a weekly activity report to the entire company, which I did, and, the, and some of the engineers still have those emails. And by the way, that's how you should you should hold your team accountable if you're a, if you're a, a sales leader in this environment. Is if they're going on one to two sales calls a week, guess what? You have the wrong person in the job. Period. Full stop. Like you cannot be successful if you're going on one to two sales calls a week, and and you have to measure. That so, if you are a sales leader and you're not holding your team accountable, you're not measuring them on a weekly basis, you'll fail. 
and, and, you know, entitlement or other, you know, other things will come into play. They, they'll say, well, I'm not successful because, well, you're not successful because you're not doing your job. And that's, that's what it comes down to. And you have to be ruthless about that. And that's the hard part about it is we're all humans. We all have empathy, I hope. Um, and, you know, and being an empathetic leader, you, you, you can, you can listen, you can understand, but you also know that is my, my CEO now says, look, do you think the board is my friend? They're not my friend. They, they are, they've hired me to make money for shareholders. And that's what, that's how you have to view it is we can have friends. We can have friends at work, but at the end of the day, we have to do our jobs. And that's really what, what you as a sales leader, and that's what I expect of my sales leaders. And the second that I start to have to do their job for them is they're in the wrong job. They're in the wrong job. So, so that's, that's what it comes down to. Early days of Snowflake, we had, we had one sales rep down in Southern California and I'd go down to have meetings with him and he's a super nice guy. And I would go down and have meetings with him and we'd, we'd have like one meeting and we'd sit in a coffee shop for half the day. And then I'm like, what the hell am I doing here? And then the guy who was his sales manager comes to me and says, Hey, I'm going to put two more sales reps in the, in, in SoCal. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, like this guy, do you think we have that the territory to do that? And he's like, yes. And sure enough, we put two guys in there and they did the, the job. They got up every day. They made the dials. They got in the, the first calls and they, and they sold. And sure enough, this other guy was like, oh, you know, like some people don't want to hold themselves accountable or don't want to do the hard thing. And so, you know what? You know, I'd rather work at a company that, that is not going to give me free lunch every day and, and save money and have my stock worth more. A lot of people are like, I want to work at a place that's like, you know, has, you know, slides and popsicles and balloons everywhere. And it's like, you know what, that's great, but that's not, I'm in, I'm in the, in, in this to have fun, but really to make money. And that's what you have to kind of do. And, and again, it goes back to it is you were entitled to nothing. Nine years on this job, I'm entitled to nothing and I am owed nothing. And I have to get up every single day and do my job. And if I'm not doing my job, I told my CEO, I told him this recently. I said, if I'm not doing my job, you don't even have to fire me. You can just say, Chris, maybe you should leave and I'll, I'll leave on my own volition because that is how I feel. I own being successful in this job. I'm on a 90 day contract to keep my job every quarter. And that's how I view it. That's super key. So this is getting into, you know, kind of the, the, the rep level. Again, we, we sort of had team level. How should those leaders be thinking about that? And then at the rep level, what are the actions? What are the activities people should be doing? What should you be inspecting there? Uh, and pipeline generation is kind of what you're emphasizing there. And the importance of going on sales calls. And, and you have this sort of magic number of like eight sales calls per week. So maybe say a little bit more about that. And like, what does that look like in practice for, you know, an average rep? Yeah. So, so again, when I, I had been in either front or second line management prior to showing up to Snowflake and, and it was just me. So there was like nobody else. And so when I showed up, I'm like, what am I going to hold people accountable to? So I had an unrealistic expectation when I was at EMC that you'd go on 15 sales calls a week. And I, that's, that's hard. It's possible. Um, and I've done it even here at Snowflake, but it's hard um, because you, you also have to uh, have discipline around prospecting. So if you're doing your own pipeline generation, which by the way, I, I, my view is every single sales rep owns their own pipeline generation, marketing, SDRs, they're there to support you. And that's a value add, but you're, you're not entitled to that is, is my view. And so I think you have to basically very, be very disciplined. If you're going to say, I'm going to go on eight 
face-to-face meetings a week. I'm going to go two to three net new business meetings a week. That's really what you want to want to do. Now, some people are like, well, geez, I don't have you know a territory that has enough new prospects to go have two to three net new business meetings. Well, you, you don't have to go have two to three net new business meetings in two to three net new companies. You can have two to three net new business meetings in your existing account base to find new use cases, to establish new champions. Because as we know, things things change quite quite rapidly. I'm sure we'll see layoffs in this economy. And we're starting to hear about them. And it's like, geez, like you need to not just rely on one champion in an account. You need to spread your wings in that account. Otherwise, you're going to be in trouble when, when that champion gets laid off or they take a new job or whatever. So, so I think the thing it goes back to is have discipline in your week to figure out what are you going to need to do to get to the next week? And how are you going to have eight business meetings, not like partner meetings, partner meetings don't count, customer facing meetings. How are you going to do that? And what are you going to do? What, like, what prospecting things do you have to do? Look through your, your lead list, look through your account list, you know, get on LinkedIn, send people LinkedIn notes. Like these are all things that I did. I I would go through uh, indeed the job board and look for people that were hiring redshift engineers and specifically target those people in a given city and say, I understand you, you're using Redshift. Here's the problems that some of our customers have. Boom. And so like that, that's how I attacked, you know, my, my kind of weekly cadence. And what I started to realize is as I started to not have time to do the prospecting, then I started to need more sellers because I, I, all of a sudden I was going on 10 meetings, 15 meetings a week, and I couldn't, I wasn't doing a good job setting myself up for the next week. And that's the same thing for, for you know, a week, a, a month, a quarter. You can have a great Q4. Like Q4 is like always magical in, in typically speaking in a sales organization if you have a decent product. And the, the hardest part is getting people to focus on Q1 in Q4 and, and having the, the, the discipline. And, and, you know, candidly, there's, there's territories that in, in Snowflake that didn't do that last year that paid the price this year. And so I think you kind of have to say, you know, okay, yeah, I'm going to have a big Q4, but I'm also going to then start looking at, at Q, Q1. And so as a sales leader, I'm now measuring, I'm not only asking myself, my sales leaders to foreca- give me a forecast for, you know, Q4, I'm asking them to give me a forecast for Q1. And I do that religiously every quarter so that I'm always asking people to look a quarter out. You know, these are some of the things that, I think in, in in this day and age, you need to always be worried about tomorrow. And if you're if you're just saying, "Hey, high fiving yourself, saying I got this big deal," well, what about you know your paycheck next month, next next quarter, next year? Like you want to make you you like making money. That's why you're in sales. Well, then keep keep doing that. Keep doing what you're doing, and and don't forget that. And that's, that's really important. Yeah. I mean, it it does kind of come back to like, just, you know, general, how do you be successful in life advice, which is like, take responsibility for your own actions uh, and take responsibility for your own outcomes that you generate. And this kind of goes back to stuff you were talking about at the beginning of the conversation, which is especially now it's really easy to blame others. Um, You know, blame a, you know, the market, you know, the macro, the recession, you know, the budgets are, are getting cut, you know? Um, marketing isn't sending me enough MQLs. My SDR isn't sending me enough uh, SQLs, um, uh, those types of things. 
or you can view it that way and say like, here's all the reasons and everybody else that's creating my lack of success. Or you can say like, what am I going to do to drive my own success? Am I going on those eight new business meetings per, uh, per week? Am I doing the things that are the inputs to get the sort of desired outputs? Exactly. You should consider yourself if you want to be successful in life is, yeah, it's great to be a part of a successful company. Frank's been part of you know, three very successful companies. One of the things that he does, which I totally appreciate, is he, he makes fast decisions um, that are tough decisions, but he holds people accountable, which then raises everyone else's game. Every single day, whatever you're doing, just be the best you. And if you're not doing it, quit your job, go do another job because you, maybe you don't like it. But, but you know, you're doing yourself a disservice by just being a passenger on a successful company. So rounding it out with advice for, for sales leaders, so down to the deal level, how should you be advising and leading reps as they're going through deal processes when, say, you know, budgets might be smaller than they were before, budgets might be more uncertain than before, maybe you're getting a much smaller ACV than you historically have, like, do you fire the prospect and wait for the budget to come around? Do you sort of get creative in that moment? Like, what do you do in the actual deal when the prospect um, is dealing with the uncertainty and the lower budgets and all that kind of stuff on their side? Yeah, I mean, the way I've always approached it with Snowflake is we're not here to kind of be your enterprise platform from day one. We're going to help you solve a very specific business case. And it goes back down to finding something that is valuable to that customer, um, making sure that you can tie it and it can start off small. We weren't going to make the millions of dollars in, in goals that, that the company had set if that was always the case. But we, we identify, I didn't come in and say, I want to replace your Redshift. I didn't come in and say, I want to replace your Teradata. I said, this is a very specific problem you have. Let's solve that problem. Let me show you what we can do. And that's how we've grown as a company. And that's, that's, that's really how you should approach it in this type of environment is, you know, you can get greedy and you can say, I want this big commission check, which certainly we all want that. But I think at the end of the day, if you show value, and especially in, in tough times to your customers, they'll be tremendous advocates for you. So in the travel and hospitality space for us during COVID, there were plenty of customers that we had to down renew, that we rolled over their unused usage because we knew that they were in a tough time and we were, we were empathetic to their, their challenges. And there's, there's that, that's going to happen in this, in this economy. There's going to be people whose businesses are in trouble. And it's not, we, while we want everyone to be successful, this is just the nature of, of business. And I think you have to be empathetic to that and listen and, and make the smart business decision, not only just for your company, but for, for your customer. And if you become a, a customer advocate as well and operate above board and, and do the right thing by the customer, generally speaking, um, that works pretty well. Yeah, um, it, it sounds like you can, and, and I've certainly seen this as well, you can still get to the same, you know, kind of deal size, but you might have to do it in steps. You know, um, That's right. as a sales rep, you might be accustomed to selling like, hey, look, my average deal size is, you know, 200K or something like that. And all this customer can give me right now is 50 and you have the, uh, because their budget's tight and they have a specific problem and that's what they're trying to solve. They're not ready to sort of go after the the full thing today. You could either say, all right, well, like, then I'll just put you back into my pipe and like, I'll come back to you when you're ready to spend 200 K or you could take the 50 now um, and then make them really successful, show them the value and get the next 50 and get the next 50 um, and sort of build your way to the 200. I think that's always a good thing, but especially, you know, when folks might just be dealing with more limited resources on the prospect side. 
you're building a long-term relationship with, with, with the customer. You know, our first Snowflake's two very first customers are still customers to this day. I never started off saying, give me a million dollars. I always said, let me show you the value I can provide. And we've built that relationship over time. And I think that's, that's the important thing is you establish credibility um, by, by approaching it that way, not by saying I, I need a five, 10, $1,500 million deal. That that's, that's nice. But but you're not going to do that because you know you you deserve it. You 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 get those deals because you've earned it, and and the customer sees value in what they're doing. So closing out here for uh, advice for sales folks uh, in a down market. Um, you know we're we're starting to approach Q4, and then you know uh, obviously there's a lot of selling that happens in Q4, but there's also a lot of planning that happens in Q4 for the next year. And so as sales leaders are prepping for their 2023 budgets kind of what is the number I'm going to sign up for? How should they be planning differently given the macro conditions? The, the way that we approach it here is it, it's let's, let's evaluate how we're, how the business is going now. Um, let's evaluate Q4. Let's forecast accurately. One of the things that's hard is, you know, sales leaders, sales reps think if they hide stuff um, that in their forecast that then they won't, They'll kind of sneak through the the quota quota stuff for the following year. Well, that's that's not the case. In fact, we had such a large Q4 last year that I had to, after we had already assigned numbers, I had to go out and reassign numbers based on that that upside. So I think it's it's really you know as sales leaders, if you're not accurately forecasting the business, what good are you? And that's kind of that's my feeling, um, and that's how you have to plan. Now you want all the deals you can't like uh, you know. You know, bird in the hand is is better than than one that's not. So so making sure that you 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 take any and you know every deal that you can that's a good healthy deal for the customer and you you should take them them down, um, knowing that you should forecast accurately so that you can step in the next year having an accurate accurate representation. I think during COVID we were always evaluating if we needed to readjust on quotas. There are there were some readjustments that we did, and that's the same thing that we'll. We'll go into next year is like if it's unreasonable the growth targets that we put because there's this macroeconomic thing happening we'll, we'll do that um and i think you know you have to work for companies that are open to that and that's kind of what we're going to look at is there are going to be people that that leave you know because they're unhappy with their number there are going to be people that are going to fail because they're blaming the macroeconomic conditions all you can and it goes back to this whole discussion that we've been having is go do your job every single day Go outwork your competition. Go outwork your peers, um, and you'll 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 find success. The the company needs successful people, and that's kind of my advice. Is you know just again go do your job, be a student of what you sell, um, and at a sales leader perspective, yeah, you're gonna want to say, well, we're not gonna grow this much. Well, geez, do you like the price of the stock? Well, gee, you 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 better try, and and that's kind of how I view it. Don't don't let you know, other people be your excuse. And, and that's kind of, that's the advice I have. Well, Chris, this has been uh, fantastic. Great advice for, you know, the current environment, but also just great advice on how to be successful as a sales leader or sales rep in any environment. This is stuff that uh, doesn't go out of style uh, and doesn't get less relevant over time. It's always what's uh, going to give you the competitive edge and, and allow you to win. So thanks so much for joining us here on the Build Podcast. It's been awesome. Blake, as always, thanks for having me. And, and it's been great getting to know you through this. Thank you. 